Hello, this is episode 11 of season two. And this episode is about your outdoor living spaces. So your alfresco, your deck, your patio, your terrace or your outdoor room. I'll also be talking a little bit about swimming pools. In so many parts of the world, and especially here in Australia, we are blessed with a great climate and that this really helps us expand the interior of our homes into the gardens around them. So let me share some great tips with you to help you get it right in planning your outdoor living spaces. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Whether you live in a large home on a big block of land or a compact home on an urban block or even an apartment, this much is true. Having a great outdoor entertaining area can do wonders for how your home feels and how you feel in your home. Adding on a deck or improving your outdoor area to create space to live outdoors and entertain, it's really one of the more common renovations that people will do to their homes. And getting it right when you're building new is one of the keys to helping your home flow and to make the most of your home and your site. Now, many places around the world, including Australia, have a great climate where outdoor living is a big part of enjoying our homes. And maximising the use of our outdoor spaces is a great way to expand the experience of your home and to make it feel larger and more spacious and to help you feel better in it. Research actually shows that connection with nature is fundamental to our well-being. So it makes sense on lots of levels to create outdoor living spaces for your home that are useful and functional and enjoyable to be in. So it's episode 11 in the season and if you've been listening all season you'll be used to the drill by now. Of course I'll be taking you through the four F's to help you think about what will work for your new home or renovation. And I'll also share three mistakes to avoid and three key design tips to consider for your project. And as promised, I'm going to talk a little bit about swimming pools just to help you if you're planning one for your place. Now, I've written and spoken a fair bit about this topic on the Undercover Architect blog and podcast. So I'm going to pop some other links to help you into the show notes and onto the blog on the website. Now, first though, let's start with that fifth F, feel. So how do you want your outdoor living areas to feel? Do you want them to be open or private? Do you want them to be connected to green and nature and a little bit rustic and rambling? Or do you want them to be more landscaped and formal? You know, have a think about it. These spaces, they're usually an extension of your interior living spaces. And so the feelings that you want for them may actually build from there as well. Now, let's have a look at functionality. As I said, your outdoor living spaces, they're usually an extension of your indoor ones. And, you know, we'll be creating open plan living, kitchen, dining spaces inside, and then we'll generally locate the outdoor living space next to them immediately outside. Now, of course, it may not always work out like this, and I'll talk a little bit more about that further in the podcast, but this is usually the aim for most homeowners. 
The orientation requirements for your outdoor living areas are pretty similar to the orientation requirements for your indoor living areas. And you ideally want to locate your outdoor living areas on the northeastern side of your home or to access natural sunlight from the northeast and the north. It's worth remembering, though, that the angle of the sun is different in summer than it is in winter. So use that understanding to ensure that your interior living spaces will still access sunlight during winter and that they're shaded in summer. Because the last thing that you want to do, and and something that I often see happen, is that people will add these great big outdoor entertaining areas to their homes and they'll actually bury their interior living spaces and prevent their interior living spaces from getting natural sunlight from outside and particularly from that warmth in winter. Now, as you do with your interior living spaces, also consider how you're going to shade these outdoor living spaces from that harsh and hot western sun at the times of year when you need to as well. In terms of how your outdoor living area needs to function, there are some key roles that it plays. So outdoor dining, of course, is a big way of living and entertaining in our culture. And so somewhere to sit around a table and eat a meal is one of the main reasons that the space even exists. You know, it's a space to relax and enjoy and to share and to celebrate with friends and with family. It's also a space to observe the rest of the garden from or any view that you might have. And if you have kids and you want to supervise them playing in the backyard, you know, an outdoor living area can be a lovely opportunity to have a space to relax outside whilst you do that. And it's often when you do have kids that your social catch-ups will actually involve having other families over and their kids. So being able to let all of those children run around together in the garden whilst you guys can enjoy your time in your outdoor living space, that can certainly make entertaining simpler and more fun. And this is why I encourage you, if possible, to create your outdoor living area on or near the same level as your garden, because this will really assist with that seamless indoor-outdoor connection and help your interior living areas to really flow to the outside. And it'll help with providing safe access for little ones to your garden from inside as well. Now, I'll talk more about this inflow to just share some other options with you that you may want to consider if this direct access from inside to outside isn't possible for your place. So how else do you need your outdoor living spaces to perform? And what does that tell you about the size, the shape, the cover, the materials? You know, I'll also share some more information about this in Mistakes and Tips. Now let's have a look at flexibility. There's two things that I'd really like you to consider for flexibility in your outdoor living spaces. The first thing is the number of people that you may have in your outdoor living areas and how they feel and perform as a result. It's great when these spaces can host larger groups when you entertain and celebrating. And it's also great that they still feel lovely and comfortable when there's only one or two of you using them. And this, of course, will be afforded by the size of the outdoor living area overall. However, you can also help it have capacity to expand by looking at the design of the spaces around it. You know, remember you're outside, so people will move sort of in and out of this area. So look internally and externally, you know, how does this outdoor living area connect to your internal living spaces? And can that connection help with the flexibility to host larger groups? It's rare that everybody's always in one spot when you're having a party or a barbecue. You know, can you also landscape next to the outdoor living area to manage this as well? One super thing important to remember, especially if your outdoor living area is a deck, is that you make it structurally sound for larger groups. 
you know, there's been some terrible instances of fatal accidents where decks have collapsed during large gatherings or parties. So brief your engineer about how your proposed deck will be used so that you can be really confident of its design. Now, the second thing to mention is when I talk about flexibility in the use of this space is how it can be used at different times of the year. So if you want to use this space year round, then you'll need to make certain choices about its design and its construction. And two main things to consider are shade and shelter. So shade, of course, is a sensible choice, providing some type of cover, be it fixed or more adjustable like a fold-out awning. That can really help your outdoor living space be useful in the hotter times of the year. You can then decide, though, whether you want your outdoor area to have a more permanent weatherproof type of shelter over it. For example, do you want to sit out there when there's a bit of rain? How about when it's actually really heavy rain? In hotter, more tropical parts of Australia, it can be really useful to have a covered outdoor living space in your home that is protected during heavy rain. And these outdoor spaces in those kind of climates, they'll actually keep your home cooler overall. Because if you remember, these external shaded areas outside of your home help breezes cool before they come into your home. And that helps with natural ventilation overall. If you do want permanent cover over your outdoor living area, you know, do you still want it to let some light through? So do you want a solid roof or do you want to use something like a polycarbonate? There are some polycarbonates available these days that actually provide, you know, really good heat and UV protection, but they'll obviously let natural light through in a way that a solid roof won't. So, you know, perhaps you could make a choice like that, or you could do a combination of both. Have a think about what will work for your project. Next, let's talk about furnishability. This is really a chance to ask yourself, you know, what do you want in your outdoor area and what do you want to do there? So do you want somewhere just to eat around a table and share with your family and with friends and entertain? Will you cook outdoors as well? So do you need space for a barbecue? Does that need to be something more elaborate, something more built in, like an actually sort of built outdoor kitchen? Of course, this will be budget dependent, but there's so many available off the shelf now to choose from. And perhaps your budget can't afford it now, but it's something that you want to build in the capacity to do later. Have a look too. Do you also want somewhere to sort of sit and lounge that's not the outdoor dining table? So some lounge furniture or perhaps just a simple chair or or two or a bench seat that you can sit on with a friend. Honestly, with these spaces, the sky is the limit and of course your budget. So, you know, I've seen them kitted out with TVs and sound systems and outdoor fireplaces, teppanyaki grills, bar fridges. You can actually buy external grade bar fridges, you know, full joinery, built-in seating. You know, some homeowners do invest a lot in their outdoor living spaces. Ultimately though, you don't need all the bells and whistles for your outdoor living areas to work. You know, if you can size them appropriately and you can design them to be well shaded and protected in the warmer parts, of the year, which is when you're actually going to be using them the most, that's really what will serve you. And you can always build in the capacity to add these extras later when your budget allows it. So look at what services you'll need and what type of space you'll need and what type of structure you'll need to accommodate those things down the track. Next, let's have a look at flow. So the main thing to consider with flow is what you can do to maximize that indoor-outdoor relationship and connection, because this honestly just it helps so significantly with how your home feels overall and helps with the functionality of it as well. So using your outdoor living space well, it usually requires the ability to get to your kitchen space to bring food from inside to outside and to get drinks from the fridge. 
And of course, when you're entertaining, you can set things up with ice buckets or bring things outside and have it all set up so that that can work. And maybe you have the budget to have external fridges built in and a proper external kitchen. However, that sort of really everyday simple use works well if your outdoor living space has good proximity to your interior kitchen. Just, you know, to pop outside with a cup of coffee and a magazine for five minutes in the sun, you know, to have your outdoor area close to your kitchen can mean that you'll actually use it more and that you'll enjoy those kind of small, simple, everyday moments in it. And it really helps with that easy dash back to the fridge and for getting plates of food in and out and not having to weave around furniture to be bringing things inside and out when you when you need them. If you can't actually create a space that's directly outside your interior living spaces, then think about creating more of a destination type of outdoor living area. So sometimes an outdoor pavilion that's located in your garden can be a really lovely way to create a destination outdoor living area. So, you know, this may be an option if, say, your main living areas are all on the upper floor of your house or you're on a sloping block or perhaps you do have a pool in but it's right at the other end of the garden away from the home. If you can create that outdoor living pavilion with sufficient functionality that you can host a lunch and have a barbecue and that there's great sitting and eating area and you can design it so that you don't have to be constantly ducking back into the house to get the things that you need, that can really make it a great space and especially when you have friends over or perhaps the kids are in the pool and you don't want to be leaving them to go back inside. Don't forget also that your outdoor living area doesn't always have to be at the rear of your home. You know, I spoke a lot about this in season one and in looking at orientation. You know, I recommend that you really focus on designing for orientation, that you actually use your outdoor living areas as a way of getting natural light from the right direction into the living spaces of your home and to help them feel great overall, both inside and outside. So perhaps your home or block of land might lend itself better for you to create a courtyard outdoor living space within the floor plan that the house sort of wraps around. Or perhaps the main outdoor living area is better suited to being in your front garden and then you can privatise it accordingly so that it can be a really great space to use. You know, it is possible to get these options working really well. And especially if you avoid the mistakes that most homeowners make, which I'll talk about next, it will do wonders for adding value to your home and to the experience of your home if you're doing it so that you can get the orientation for your living spaces to work really well. So let's have a chat about mistakes. Now, mistake number one is when homeowners choose high maintenance materials to build their outdoor living areas in. You know, an outdoor living area, it's supposed to be a relaxing space to be in. However, if all it does is remind you that it's time to put a coat of stain on the deck every time you're in it, then that won't really work, will it? So ideally, you want to enjoy the space and not spend all your time cleaning and maintaining it. And being outdoors, it will see a lot of heat and weather and cold in some areas as well. And that can really test the longevity of a lot of materials. So choose materials for durability and for low maintenance requirements. Really do your research. Now, mistake number two is that homeowners will make the connection to the garden difficult. So I see this happen, especially in Queenslander renovations or replica Queenslander homes. The main living areas of the home, they'll be on the upper floor with a large deck off the rear of the home, which overlooks the garden. However, to actually get down to the garden, you have to go right back inside the house, down the internal staircase, out through the lower floor and then out into the garden. So if you need to get to kids that are playing in the garden, that can be quite a hike 
Like if you're out in the garden, you want to go back to the kitchen to get something. It's a hike to get back inside and outside. You've got kids traipsing dirt and muck in from the garden through the house. So if you're not having stairs running down directly from your deck into your garden, then consider where you're going to locate your internal stairs so that they also provide really convenient access to outside from the inside of your home. Mistake number three is to think that bifold doors are the best way to get a great indoor-outdoor connection. I see a lot of homeowners have this quite romantic attachment to bifold doors as a way to open up their home to their outdoor living area. And look, they are a great inclusion in some projects, but they do not work everywhere. Firstly, they're actually one of the highest costing type of doors, so they'll take a big chunk of your budget to include them. Secondly, bifold doors feel greatest when they're fully open, when they're fully pushed back. You may not want them fully open all the time, you know, so just think about that and how they'll be used. And thirdly, bifold doors actually chew up floor space. So what I mean is that they run on a track at the bottom and at the top and to fold, you'll actually either need to run them fully on the outside, fully on the inside or half and half and need to keep clear space of either side of the track to have the doors concertina back to open them up. This can actually mean having to make your interior and exterior living spaces bigger in order to keep furniture clear of the bifolding action. Let's go through my three main design tips for your outdoor living areas. Design tip number one is to think about providing spaces other than the table to sit at. I think it's great when there are other options for you to sit in an outdoor area that's not necessarily at the table. So for example, there may be the chair at the table, but then there also may be a built-in bench, or perhaps there could be space for just a seat single deck chair or a lounge chair of some sort. Perhaps you've also got, you know, steps that go down into the garden and you oversize one of them so that it's a really lovely platform or plinth to sit on. It may be even as simple as making your deck sit about four or 500 millimetres above your garden level because that's the height of a seat and it means then you can sit on the edge of the deck and have your feet in the grass of the garden. You know, these design ideas, they really make that deck or outdoor room a great space to entertain in because you'll have lots of gathering spaces on lots of places for people to sort of be and to keep an eye on the kids or you know sort of get into the garden easily and they're really a lovely way to give you flexibility in how you use the space and how you hang out there and where you might sit to be out of the sun or be in the sun depending on what you're doing and the time of year. Now design tip number two is to not compromise your indoor living spaces in order to have an outdoor living area. You know sometimes you might not have the room to have a dedicated outdoor space like a deck or a terrace or an alfresco area and rather than trying to squeeze both in, so both an outdoor and an interior one, consider how you can make your indoor living area feel like an outdoor living space when you want it to. You know, how can you open up the edges of your home, be it with large windows, a beautiful window seat, big sliding door openings to actually peel away the edges of your interior space and open them up to the outside. If you're actually above the ground level, so more than a metre above the ground level or perhaps even on the upper level, you know, one trick is actually to put big sliding doors in that have a balustrade on the outside or the inside of them. What that means is that you can have the sliding door shut and you can have a beautiful big full height view to the outside from this upper area of your house and then when the weather calls for it, you can actually slide the doors back. The balustrade's in place. You can have a glass balustrade so it's lovely and transparent and open. And it actually immediately makes that interior space feel like an exterior one when you stand at the edge of it and you lean on the balustrade and you look out. It's a fantastic effect and really great one to use if you don't have the space for an outdoor as well as an indoor living and dining area. Now design tip number three is to remember privacy. You know part of the enjoyment of an outdoor space is actually in feeling sheltered 
sheltered and private whilst you're occupying it. And this means, you know, not necessarily being overlooked from neighbours or from the street. And there's a couple of ways that you can do this. Firstly, have a look at the views that neighbours might have of your place from above and counteract this, cut it off with well-placed roofs or with screens or with landscaping. You know, clumping bamboo or other types of hedging plants, they're actually great for breaking view lines from overlooking neighbours. Secondly, consider the level at which the onlooking occurs and your use of the space. What I'm talking about here is, you know, most of the time you'll actually be sitting down in your outdoor area. So you may find that privacy is actually actually only required for when you're sitting, you know, so it may not be required the whole way up to a full height of a person. And if it's like a little space that's off your bedroom or something like that, you know, do you want to be able to sit in your pyjamas with a morning coffee whilst you read the paper and enjoy a bit of morning sun? And so what does that mean for how you need to create privacy in that space at that time of the day from a seated position? Remember, though, it's a fine line between creating privacy and actually imprisoning yourself in a walled, enclosed space. And part of the beauty of outdoor areas is that connection with the outdoors and with the environment around us and, you know, feeling the breezes and hearing the sounds and and, um, feeling the sun. So, you know, work to give yourself privacy with these devices, but not at the cost of completely cutting off that outdoor connection or burying your interior spaces away from natural light. Now, let's talk about swimming pools. Someone once said to me, what's the definition of a swimming pool? It's a big hole in the ground that you throw money into. (laughs) But if you have the budget and the space and you have young kids in your family, you know, they can be a great inclusion for family life in your home. And especially if you have leather skinned kids like mine, or even if you heat the pool or you live in a particularly warm climate, you can find that your pool will actually get use for well over half of the year. The first thing that I really need to say about pools is this, and I can't emphasize this enough. They are not a budget item. You know, I see so many homeowners budget twenty to $25,000 or even less for their pools, and then they get the shock of their life when they're told that the pool plans that they have will be over $50,000, sometimes even more. Some think then that they'll go down the owner-builder route to cut out the builder margin and to get their cost back down. However, if you've never built a pool before, I highly recommend that you don't go owner-builder. Building pools can be super stressful, especially when you don't know what you're doing, even if you work trying to coordinate people and trades. And there's huge liability with certification and with getting all the required sign-offs. And so much can go wrong during and after construction, and they can be expensive mistakes. Now, there's various options for swimming pools these days. So, of course, there's in-ground and there's above-ground and how you design those. You can make an above ground pool look look like it's in ground if you get it to meet up with a deck area or something like that. The main choices that you have for in ground pools, of course, are fiberglass or concrete. And there's other options now as well. So there's things like shipping containers for pools or even concrete circular tanks. You know, these two latter options, they're a bit more innovative and they are lower cost ways to create a pool. However, they're also, they're not super budget and they will require certain types of access to your site in order to actually physically install them and they'll also generate a specific aesthetic outcome. What many homeowners forget to budget in in their pool costs is all the excavation retaining to actually create a flat pool level and to dig the hole for it. 
And there's also, of course, the electrical work for lighting and for pool pumps and for any heating that you may want. There's the hardscape around the pool, be it concrete or paving or tiling. And then there's your pool fencing. So very quickly, it can add up. And if you're considering a pool for your future new home or your renovation, just fully scope it out in your budget and build in a contingency early on. Check all your local council and state rules as well when it comes to pools and to pool fencing. You know, they've been changing a fair bit over the last few years and some people are still getting caught by surprise and it really doesn't take much for an inflatable pool or for a water feature to be legally deemed as a pool and to require pool fencing. Now the main mistake to avoid when it comes to pools is this, many homeowners forget to actually plan their pool into their initial design and it's really helpful if you're thinking at all about including a pool sometime down the track that you master plan it really early on because it can actually tell you how the pool needs to be and where it needs to be located or it can change the design of the renovation or the new home itself so that you can protect access to build the pool at a later date. Now, my main design tip when it comes to pools is to do your research before choosing the actual size of it and the design. You know, many clients will say to me, I want a large pool and they'll have two or three children and that sort of seems like the sensible choice for them. But what large is really varies dramatically from client to client. Some will say that they want to do laps in it or they want a big pool for when lots of kids are over and doing dive bombs and all those types of things. So for you to really do laps in a pool, it should be over 12 metres at least for you to get a decent lap in before you have to turn around and come back. And lap pools don't need to be that wide. They can be very long, skinny pools. That's a very different design from a pool that you want kids to be able to jump in and out of and, you know, run in from the edge. And a huge pool when you have a tribe of kids over you know, that's a an expensive pool to maintain year round and it also takes up a lot of space in your back garden. So weigh up how much yard space you have and what you also have in close proximity to your home. You know, you might have beaches or public pools or creeks and reserves. You know, choose and size your pool accordingly and actually map it out at one-to-one in your yard to be sure. Be a design detective. Check out other people's pools at their homes and see what's working. Remember the depth. Remember the shallow end. Look at the size overall and have a good think about it so that you're really informed when you're making choices for yours. Lastly, don't forget the actual design of the steps into your pool. You know, if you're yet to have kids or you have little ones, I find that the inclusion of a long bench or a flat platform at one end of the pool, it can be really useful as kids are learning to swim because they have a place to sort of play on and where they can feel comfortable and safe in the pool and you can feel like you can get to them, you know, be in there with them and have them within arm's reach and they can start to gain confidence to swim away from into the deeper part of the pool. And as they get older or even when you're in the pool. It's a great place for you to be able to sit and to be comfortable and enjoy. And I find that the it works best when that step is about 500 below the water level. So it's just sort of touching your shoulders and keeping that part of you wet. Finally, I've only talked about outdoor living areas and swimming pools, but of course there's your garden landscape design overall. Now I've got a couple of great blogs on the website where landscape designers have shared some really useful tips about how to design family-friendly gardens. So I'm going to pop those links in the show notes and on the blog on the website. You know, landscaping and planning, it always seems to be the tightest part of the budget and it's the first thing to go when your budget needs massaging. It's inevitable, but it can and 
does radically change the overall experience of your home. Time and time again, it never ceases to amaze me. It's the one thing when you have a fully landscaped garden, it's that one thing that makes a home feel finished when you're renovating or you're building, you know, when you've got that moved in kind of done feel to it. All right. Now, the beauty of gardens is that they grow So you can actually create them fairly inexpensively and know that they'll become more established over time. And you can be super savvy about this in terms of how you source plants and what you do in terms of the design overall. So head to the show notes or the blog for those links and for more info. Okay, so that is the end of episode 11 about outdoor living areas and I've included a little bit of information about swimming pools. Now we're almost through your whole home and through the season. I have one episode left for this podcast season which is actually coming up next time and it's about the entry to your home and your front gardens and how to achieve a sense of security overall. That's the next episode and I look forward to sharing it with you. Thank you so much for joining me here at Get It Right with Undercover Architect. If you're wanting to learn more about how to design a home, I've actually created a special five-step e-guide to get you started. It's free and you can get your copy now. It's called How to Design a Home, Five Simple Steps to Getting It Right and you can head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash home design to get your free copy emailed straight to your inbox and I'll put that link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please head to iTunes and subscribe because that way then you'll be the first to know about new episodes and you'll also help others like you find out about this podcast. I'd really love it if you could leave a review too, please, because it'll tell iTunes to share this podcast with other homeowners like you. And if you have friends or family planning their future homes, please let them know about the podcast as well. Everyone who is renovating or building can then get support in getting it right. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time. Bye. Jack Rabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.